Welcome to the Diamonds for Our Children podcast, a public humanities project and motherhood ministry. I'm your host, Katie Jo LaRiviere. Drawing on all aspects of what Pope St. John Paul II called the feminine genius, I gathered together the narratives, expressions, and expertise of mothers as a collective epistolary given freely as a gift to all children who might need the loving and secure presence of motherhood. This podcast is for my little ones, of course, but it's also for you, dear one, whomever and wherever you may be. If you need the love of a mother, join me every Monday. Each episode is a facet of the diamond of motherhood, and each contributes to a unified love that reflects light back onto the world. Let us fill our hearts up so that we can pour them out. Beth Anderson, welcome. So, so welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited and honored to have you here. Um, Will you maybe start by introducing yourself to our listeners, um, maybe in a personal, but then also in a professional capacity? Sure. Yes. Thank you. And hello, Kitty Joe, and everybody. Um, So my name is Beth Anderson, and I... um, I'm a mom. I have four boys from ages 11 to two, and uh, we live in Wisconsin. I'm originally from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a very small town there, and um, I have a background in uh, medieval Italian literature. (laughs) So I um, studied uh, my undergrad in Notre Dame. Of course, Notre Dame people always have to mention that. Um, <laughs> yes, kind of, but it's kind of also true. Um, <laughs> and I then I went on, I did a master's there as well, and then a PhD at the University of Chicago. And um, medieval Italian literature, I think what most people would identify right away is Dante and the Divine Comedy. So, however, my emphasis was on a different poet who followed on the tales of Dante, but was doing something very different. And his name was Francis Petrarch. And Mm -hmm. I wrote my, my little book, uh, my dissertation, and it is little, I just reread the um, dedication because I was pregnant um, while I proposed it. And then I wrote it while my oldest was an infant and I wrapped it up and defended it while right like two weeks before our second son was born. Mm. amen sister yeah i feel like like, really lit a fire under this yeah yeah (laughs) i love how you um you refer to it in it in those terms that i think medievalists um can really appreciate but which maybe our listeners might not know that (laughs) that that phrase the little book um (laughs) that i so love yeah Uh, yeah and you know that experience of um sort of writing your dissertation all while undergoing um all of the things that we do as moms of littles and newborns Mm -hmm. um really you know I think is one of the reasons that you and I first connected Mm -hmm. and and is such a, a beautiful and sort of singular experience, although it's, it seems singular to me because I feel like it is still not an experience that is um, perhaps as valued as it should be. Mm -hmm. And therefore, 
you know, we tend to keep it, we keep it quiet or we pretend that we are not moms while we're doing our, (laughs) our work. Um, And there's lots of reasons for that, which we don't necessarily have to get into, but Mm-hmm. I think it is a it is a very special um, thing. This combined vocation of being a mother scholar, mm-hmm. um, and gosh, I'm so grateful that I had uh, you to look up to and to connect with uh, while while I was going through it myself. And I think you know, just for our listeners' benefit, it's it might be important to note that we met on Instagram, yeah. and <laughs> we we I'm just like prowling around for other medieval PhD moms. I know. This like this confluence that is so rare of these three, oh, yeah. these three little yeah. pillars. I mean, it, um, I think it was really providence. So uh, I'm yes, so grateful amen. for it was all worth it for Instagram just for a new friendship. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, amen to that. <laughs> um, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about your experience as a mother scholar mm-hmm. and sort of your perspective of being in that position of combined vocation. Sure. I, I would love to, I mean, um, you know, cause I'm, I'm in it. Right. So are you. Mm-hmm. And well, first of all, I chose, um, kind of chose or, or kind of prudently took in the circumstances when I finished my dissertation that I had two small little boys and um, I wasn't willing to move anywhere in the country for a position in Italian literature. So I opted to become an independent scholar um, mm-hmm. and stay as engaged in the community as I could, but put my um, family first. And my advisors were really gracious. And the fact is, there aren't that many positions available anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not a native Italian speaker. And um my parents were very encouraging that it's this having an education like this will just um, enrich your quality of life and enrich your family's life. It's not yeah. just to make money or to, I mean, which you wouldn't really do anyway. Right. But, um, <laughs> but, but not just to, for all the glory of all the yes. worldly accolades. So I, um, I happily continue to go to academic conferences um and I have a few friends in different departments that I collaborate with um, to stay engaged. We've um, organized different panels and different, you know, congresses and conferences. And I'm lately working on a translation with one of my old colleagues um, of a poem by Petrarch. It's like a um, narrative poem. So it's really mm. kind of interesting. And anyway, that's a whole nother thing. But um, I think one of my committee members said it best he was a very nice man and he said um as I was you know just had this baby was going to be writing the dissertation and I went to check the ideas with him and ask for suggestions and um I was pretty pregnant at the time and trying to get all these meetings in before our first son was born and I know that feeling so well I know it's like listen you got to see me now because right you'll see when I get there why and he was so kind and said um you know I hope that it's a very special um gestation for both your baby and your dissertation so there's Mm. something about that um like you say in the introduction to the podcast like that feminine genius there's something there about nurturing things, not like just like, let me take care of you. Like not a, in a personality kind of way. 
but in um, making things grow, like really taking things as they are. And my dissertation, I don't know if you found the same thing, came out very differently than I had originally proposed. Yeah. But it came out out more true and more organic. And um, I, I was, yeah, it really was like a gestation. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of, um, of women, especially in academia talk about the sort of the birth of their dissertation, you know, in those terms, in those maternal terms that are like, I, you know, I had this other baby. (laughs) It was my, my dissertation baby. And even to the point where I've seen people like do newborn photo shoots (laughs) with their dissertation. (laughs) And so like, Mm. there is something about this in the feeling of, of doing, um, a huge work of scholarship like that. And, um, and especially having it be sort of the first time you've ever, um, produced such a, a work. It really does feel, um, like a gestation and, and, um, the concept of the pregnancy of ideas Mm -hmm. seems to, to really have some, some effect there. Um, so yeah, I can really, I can really relate to that as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for me, it, as I'm, I'm sure, you know, this is for, um, people like us. I mean, one of the cool, cool, cool things about our relationship is that, um, not only do we have these, these common, we have these things in common, like that we're both medievalists and we're both, um, mamas and had young kids during our whole experience of academia and graduate school mm-hmm. um but also we're both catholic yeah. and and live that that um you know pretty openly and like hello yeah. this is us yeah. it's, um, it's a lifestyle it's like a lifestyle <laughs> it's a lifestyle yes um and i feel like it's uh this sense of um of pregnancy and birth and um you know growing and gestating an idea mm-hmm as it does with motherhood and with growing and gestating a person Mm -hmm. feels like a journey closer to God, right? Like this relationship um, that just deepens and deepens. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had like a similar sort of spiritual experience of doing the writing too, you know? Yes. I did. I found that like doing this research and this one project that was, and one part, I was contributing all this, re- I was pulling it all together, but it also just seemed to kind of come alive, like somehow, um, like, like a little person, right? Like I, yeah, I mean, the baby grows and in yeah. spite of you. And then even after it's born, it grows in spite of you. And, um, and yes, I definitely felt, um, well, it's, it reminds me just so much, like one of my kind of mottos from the time I was like in high school was kind of just like the pursuit of the truth yeah oh I know because I was like a really John Paul too and still am um like fangirl and yep and he wrote I think it was in Veritatis Splendor just like never forget to just like we'll never learn enough and we'll never um know everything but it's that pursuit of the truth in any field and even in encountering another person there's some truth there that I don't have in me 
but that only this person can reveal to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And even more so when it's your own child, because you see so much of yourself in them, but they are separate from you. It's like one of those. And I, that was one of the um, like critical lenses for the dissertation on, on friendship was um, looking at the mother infant bond as a way to understand this concept of intersubjectivity Hmm. and being that accounts for both the social nature of each person but also the individual and how close can we get to each other and really recognize that in each other and that's the truth right like we're not one or the other Right. Okay. Let's talk about this a little more. (laughs) This idea of intersubjectivity. Mm -hmm. Can we, can you offer a little definition for, for us to sort of ground, get, get on the same page about? Sure I can. So this is from a source that I used was kind of a psychologist, like a psych, um, it was like, uh, called by Jessica Benjamin, the bonds of love, psychoanalysm, Mm or psychoanalysis, feminism, and the problem of domination. And what she found and developed in this um, idea of intersubjectivity is that it's a type of relationship between people that moves each of them toward a fuller expression of themselves and not Mm. toward domination or um, obliterating the other person. So, yes. And it's like written in our bodies, right? It's like, written in the in in motherhood there and so the three kind of like pillars of intersubjectivity that I really found convincing and they rang true for me was that um there needs to be a mutual recognition of both individuals um and it's kind of like Pope Benedict said and St. Augustine like we need to love and be loved like it can't just be a one-way street and that is a, can be expressed in terms of intersubjectivity. Um, and then there's the fact that, like going back to um, Cicero and Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas, that a friend is another self. So like yes. in Latin, it's like alter ego est, amicus alter ego est. But it's not like the friend isn't like a mirror reflection of me. Like now, like we have so much in common, right? But that's not, right. that's not alone the basis of the friendship. Like it's because you see another self, not another me. So that's like an important distinction because- Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of so superficial like... ideas of friendship. Like my friend and I love everything just the same. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's fun. <laughs> But, (laughs) but like the deeper level of the friendship is that like your recognition of like, you're a self like me with a whole story behind you, Mm. whole future ahead of you. And in this present moment, I see you as you are. Yes. That's so great. I feel like, um, I I've been thinking about this so much lately and thinking about like in the first couple episodes of the podcast, right. This idea that the mother sees the person in front of her right and meets that person as themselves with a full dignity of their own right and that so that the other the idea that the mother-child relationship is a friendship right in that um in that Thomistic sense Right. right the amicus alter ego est yeah that 
I don't see my, I don't see a mirror image of myself right. um, in front of me. And I don't try to make you into me. Right. I come to you knowing you have as much to offer as I do. Right. And that when we do that, we, we make a new creation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, that would be another like really fruitful point of the friendship that there are the two individual friends and then there is like an energy between them. And yeah. this is kind of like a Trinitarian model yes. that like the energy in between is like that Holy spirit. That's like generated right between the love for the father and the son and the reciprocal love, like create something new. And um, that's why you see so many like saints throughout history. We're friends with each other. Um, great any anything that's like great yeah you see that they like came up together with their friends like yes just yes there's some it's like a dynamism right and I mean if you think about um like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis for example right like for a a non um like a secular example of that Mm -hmm. it happens all the time where you know I think a lot of people have had this experience where you meet somebody for the first time and you're like, Oh, this is it. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is, you know, like we could be best friends right now. You know, just like something clicks. Yeah. That's the energy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I would call that's that inner subjective space. Um, Yeah. When you are, and it like occurs like on a continuum. So, um, like in this poet I was studying, he was really in love with a woman and struggled. Sometimes he would see her as an object and sometimes he would see her as an ideal, but rarely, like he never achieved peace until he was able to see her as she was like, until he had that underlying um, piece of friendship with her. And then friendship can absorb all those other different kinds of love. But it's like the very basis of, of like a healthy relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and like you said, like it creates something new and, and unique. So you could have 10 friends and have a special different dynamism with each of them. And that's why it, it's just like so amazing and real friendship grows other friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said in your um, episode about the trees, like, mm. You know, like they, it just expands and you can almost, it's a way of discerning almost. If you see a friendship that closes you in on yourself, um, it's not, that's not friendship. Right. Right. I had this thought I was, I was remembering as you were saying that I, I was remembering this moment where I think (laughs) this is like a common moment of motherhood where you're talking to your very young child. You know, I think my daughter was five at the time. And she was just absolutely lamenting that she couldn't marry her daddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Because she was like, but, you know, why? <laughs> um, and I was trying to explain to her, you know, there, there's, of course, the obvious explanation. Um, but I think I was trying to say, like, you know, because when we when we enter into relationships, right, we want to add more love right. to the family. Right. 
you know, we don't want to just keep it for ourselves. So we got to add more people. We got to add more love. Right. And so right. you're going to fall in love with somebody else and they're going to add something to our whole family. Yeah. You're not going to lose anything. Right. <laughs> right. And so, but this, the, you know, this reminded me, um, you know, of the first thing that you were talking about is sort of um, this, this requisite of intersubjectivity, which is that it's not competitive. Right. Like it's not, it doesn't mean that as you give, you lose. Exactly. Right. Right. And, and it, it's really something much, um, uh, that, that takes some imagination. I think Mm -hmm. when, when the, when the world around you is really, really dead set in this idea, um, in this paradigm of competitive, um, relationships, Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I love that idea that you were explaining. I feel like um, I've read, you know, several people who have this same sort of philosophy. And can you remind me of the the name of the psychologist who you're reading? Yeah, the book was by Jessica Benjamin. Benjamin. Um, okay. But then it's very similar as well. Like we're using a virtue program. I might have heard of it from you, um, from the Lumen Ecclesia. Institute oh, mm-hmm. and the um, Dominican sisters there, and they're calling it like interneural biology or something, where they're discovering the same thing that virtues really only grow in, like, not in theory in your mind, but they only play out in relationships. Mm-hmm. And for Petrarch and for these ancient thinkers, um, Friendship itself wasn't necessarily a virtue, but it was like the go time of all the virtues that you have ever conquered and practiced. So yes, like friendship is where virtues come to life. And so let's say they're like the site of the action. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Like maybe you're practicing the virtue here, virtue there, trying to be, you know, affable, trying to be a good listener, different things. And then, um, but it's really in your friends that it just all comes together and in all your relationships. And that's, um, yeah, it's like the playground of virtue. Mm, I love that phrase. And it reminds me too, of this idea, um, that the phenomenologists would have, right? Mm -hmm. Like a JP two or, uh, Emmanuel Levinas, right. Who would say like, we exist like existing is towards something Mm -hmm. it's for something Mm -hmm. you know you don't just exist in a vacuum right because otherwise who's there to prove that you (laughs) exist right (laughs) so you when we exist we exist for things yes and those uh you know the the what we exist for is each other exactly Yes, we exist yeah. for each other. Yeah, like the, when you really like hit that sweet spot of recognizing the other as they are, it creates just like mutual growth and like fulfillment of the other. Um, mm-hmm. And you can only grow and kind of transform in relationship to yeah. someone else. Yeah. And then it doesn't feel like, like when that energy is happening, right? Like when you've created something anew between you, yeah because of your mutual respect, you, you don't feel loss in giving yourself to that. Right. Right. It doesn't feel like, oh, what a sacrifice that I had to do this for my friend. It's like, no, like this is natural for me. 
I care like I care about them and I go yeah. out of I yeah. go out of myself for this person out of my way yeah no right. it's so great and it's so I've like you said like tied up in motherhood where um I don't know it's just it's written right there that we can carry life we can grow life even outside our body we can grow life and, you know, I wish, absolutely not like very mainstream idea, but um, that women, just a woman herself communicates that, like communicates that interrelationship between people just by the fact right. of being a woman. And um, I, I don't think that's limiting, but I think some people might. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think if we are tied to sort of a an unimaginative uh and and uh sort of categorical explanation of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a mother then it can feel like very limiting right but if we understand this in the term in the terms of um ontology right like what it is to be right then we can see like being a woman and being a mother, these are expressions of what it is to be, yep. right? There's certain ways of being, yep. but it doesn't mean that only women can see the person in front of them and respect them and mm -hmm. need, you know, see their needs and all that. Right. It just means that there is a certain way in which there's a, there's a femininity mm -hmm. to that kind of attitude toward the world. Right. And it's like a certain, like when it's embraced, it's like that openness to more and more life, like to a greater yeah. life and to it, like almost like expansive, like the visible reveals the invisible. It's yes. like a deep um, yearning in each person's heart for something like infinite. And yeah. the fact that like new life can come into being, it's like kind of a little bit of a fulfillment for that. Um, right. Yes. It's, it's so so neat <laughs> it is so neat um and i i recently also heard a great talk on like the dignity of men so just yes. that john paul ii never got around to writing that um and fatherhood so and also to say like for anyone who maybe um really wants to have a family and for different reasons doesn't because we were like seven years um without children and mm -hmm. like lost um two pregnancies early early pregnancies and it was just like such a um I, you know it's like so much grief to oh, think yeah. that like yeah. I know this is not the fullest well first of all we just really wanted kids like we really wanted family and then second you're like mm -hmm. grieving this what you feel like a loss of biology like a loss mm -hmm. of the full potential of your body and yeah and then just also all the social stuff where it's like half the people are like, you shouldn't have any kids. And the other half are like, why don't you have 10 kids right now? <laughs> like, right. Oh my goodness. Just yes. like makes your head spin after a while. But I was so lucky to have some kind of like spiritual mothers during that time. Like um, I was really busy during those seven years without kids um, while we were married. And uh, they, I think really, really challenged me they were like amazing model of spiritual motherhood to encourage me to grow my heart as much as I could so that when the moment came or if it came to have kids, um, my heart would be formed in, 
ready, Mm -hmm. ready to give. And, um, and that's also not a very popular, (laughs) but I wish it were more mainstream because just the habit of generosity and there are so many people that need to be um, served and need to be helped. And it takes, I mean, if there's someone out there yearning to be a mom, there is someone out there who's yearning for a mom. And it might not yeah. be just oh, a baby. Yeah. It could be some person who just needs care. Amen. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I too have lost a baby and I feel like in that time of so, of such immense grief, um, I, I was mothered yeah. by so many people. Yeah. Even, even strangers. I mean, most of the people I knew and was talking to about my loss during that time were like internet strangers. Right. I'm not even right. kidding. <laughs> because in your, in your daily life, it's like, it's really hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I, but those women mothered me in a way that couldn't have been, you know, that I couldn't have, have ever experienced had it not been for that, that loss. Yeah. And they enabled me to to learn the way of motherhood during someone's grief, right? So, so that when this happened to a friend of mine, yeah. I could say, I'm going to drop everything and come and see right. you. I'm going to come and take care of you right now because... I know that's what, like, that's what we need. I'm going to see the person in front of me. We're going to do this. Right. Right. And really just like, yeah. I mean, every single person, right. Has passed through the arms of a mother and Mm -hmm. that need (laughs) never goes away. Like, um, yeah. And isn't it amazing how much, um, that kind of respectful care for someone can, um, make grief like a, I don't know, like a, not, you don't want to say like a beautiful, joyful experience, but it can um, bring so much good out of suffering, like such a richness that you would never seek out certainly, but there, there it is. Like, we don't have to be so afraid. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I think it was those moment, that moment in my life when I really learned the truth that, that joy and suffering are not separate things that happen alternately to you. They always happen together. And um, they're, they're a simultaneous thing. I wish almost that we didn't use two different words, Mm -hmm. you know, in English at Mm -hmm. least. Yeah. 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 They're, they're so like, um, like just a hair's breadth apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So I wonder um I wonder if if you had something you could share like the most important thing for you to share with your kids like if something to leave them with what what right. would that I, be I was reflecting on that and it um I just kind of had to rely on the inspiration of the of the moment um, because you know how it is when the kids are like all over you. Um, well, and it's an impossible question. <laughs> it, I know it's just such a great thing though, 
to keep in the front of your mind because in any moment it's like what do I want to teach you right now based yeah. on what's happening and um this well this for example this virtue program has just been an answer to prayer and I would I think what I would really want my boys to know is that like really and I think they identify like with um St. Paul like they're mm. you know it's kind of sporty and the outside in that bit where he's like you know if you're gonna run the race run to win like nothing in half measure like just just go full blast and to remember that it doesn't mean it's not that kind of competition where you crush the other side (laughs) but the kind (laughs) where you're just doing your best like yeah and if you win you win because you did your best, not because you were doing anything. So to like consider that whole metaphor of like playing hard and and going full blast, that's like a common phrase in our house. Um, you can do something full blast or you can't do something full blast. And mm-hmm. um and to really like look for those true friendships where you can grow like supersonic levels of virtue because mm-hmm. we need it. And whatever task you find yourself in or whatever vocation or job or circumstances, just remember, you don't like we don't know exactly what you're going to do, but you know the kind of man you need to be. And I thought, you know, Diane von Furstenberg is where I first heard that. I love it. And it's so true. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know what kind of woman I want to be. And so just say that person, right? What kind of person you want to be. And um yeah, just never, never give up. Don't stop being honest about where you can grow. Mm. I love this. I love this idea because it also, you know, you're also speaking to this idea that you talked about earlier where you said we never stop learning. Yeah. Like education is not a thing you finish. Right. 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 You don't just like graduate and you're done. Right. There's a reason why at graduation ceremonies, it's called commencement, right? Because <laughs> right. It, commencement means to begin. Right. And so, so you're never, ever done learning. Yes. We're never, we're never done growing and becoming right. the people that we most want to be. Yes. And like, oh. we need, like every time is going to need those kind of people that are curious and are trying to be good. And to find new ways to be good in the new circumstances. And that will always take place through friendships. Yeah. I love that. Okay, I'm gonna ask this question. I always... Okay, what does motherhood mean to you? Good one. Um, well, so I'm obviously coming from a, um, you know, a Catholic worldview, and one especially formed by the thinking of John Paul II, and all his wonderful writings to women and about women, and um. I guess for me, motherhood is that interior movement that goes out in generosity to the other person that like notices Mm -hmm. 
in the details or in the big things, the person around them and tries to help them to grow. So, I mean, also I come from like, you know, educators on both sides and my grandmothers and um, my mom was a phenomenal teacher of just staying at home with us, not just staying at home, but you know, and Mm -hmm. so, yeah, through that, through that, right. Through that means she was our teacher. And if anyone asked, who's your favorite teacher? I always said my mom. (laughs) She's so sweet. Um, And the, yeah, there's just something about that. If I had to boil it down to one thing, I think it would be the generosity. I love this because it, it speaks so much of the activity, Mm -hmm. right? It is such an active vocation Mm -hmm. to go out. It's, um, it's a seeking, right? Like an accept acceptance of a mission, but also the seeking out of, of, um, those who might need. Right. And sometimes like, you know, with little kids, sometimes they just need to cuddle. It's yeah. like my, I feel my life is very active with like the four boys. And I know with four of any kind of children, they're like very active. <laughs> um, yes. So there is, but it's like a, it's like an, especially like an interior activity as well. Right. Like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. Actively always seeking what, how can I help you? Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's something to be said for emotional labor, mm-hmm. right? Like oh, that, it is work. Yes, it is it work. Is. <laughs> it, it is that heart work, right? And and it's it requires not just taking care of others, but making sure you're able to take care of mm-hmm. others. That's a double. It's a double work oh, yeah. there, and it's so necessary. Right. And I don't know if you find this, but like as someone who I love the scholarly aspect, I love teaching, but I also love the study. And if I kind of don't have anything going on in that department, um, I get kind of down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> so it, whether it's habit or it's just how I made or whatever, um, part of that kind of like self-care for me and everyone has to kind of think in their own box of what it is, but like, I have to kind of be learning something. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I have a really hard time articulating that to people. <laughs> I know, that's, I know it's like, Hashtag nerd, right? But like, it's like actually a need. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like your brain gets going in this yeah. one avenue of like learning, and it's so pleasurable to learn things. Yes, and um, and then if I'm just like at a standstill, it's like I, I always end up finding something. Yeah, yep, I gotta find something. Right. Absolutely, right. thank goodness for the internet. I mean, it's like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we should talk later about like having like not having a, a library at your disposal. Ugh. That must be really hard. Yeah, not having a research library is tricky. But you know what's happened? I've started reading more, um, just like primary, like just actual books, not just like scholarly yeah. articles. Which, looking back, I'm like, I am a much better scholar now <laughs> than I've <Yeah>. actually read more. <laughs> book should have been doing this the whole time and one of my colleagues who was so good he said you know the only thing is you there's a lot of things you haven't read and I was like ah it's overwhelming there's so much to read but um I don't know I I think I we talked about how I joined this book club the well-read mom 
Yeah. And they have just pulled together this list of really great literature and their tagline is to grow our moral imagination. And some things I've read and some things are completely new because I was in medieval Italian literature. Like I didn't have time to read like, you know, I don't know what we read recently, like all the light we cannot see. And Mm. um, those things just seemed like I don't have time for that. But I mean, it's it's been amazing. And we've read everything from the rule of St. Benedict um, and the Divine Comedy to um what are we reading out the house of breed in this house of breed by rumor mm. garden like total page turner uh, i'm going to for our readers sake link their website mm-hmm. in the show oh, notes yeah. um mm-hmm. highly recommend highly. everyone check it out and especially if you can form a group because you get a chance to talk about things in your group because of the nature of the books that really matter mm-hmm. like you go yes. deep or, I mean, it depends on the group, but like you're talking about pretty um, big themes like life. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. What a gift. Absolutely. A gift. A gift. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Okay. So I'm not sure that I can let you go without asking anything about Dante. <laughs> Ooh, la, la. <laughs> so um, tell us what we can learn if we um as mothers but also as children what can we learn from dante oh so much so much i mean so to read like the divine comedy would be like pick your favorite classical symphony and you know you listen to it the first time and you're like i like it but then you're still listening to it 30 years later and you just anticipate each thing. And here comes my favorite part. And I never noticed that before or another um, performance of it makes you think of it differently. And so mm. what can we learn from the divine comedy? Basically um, all of the intricacies of the, of the soul of the human spirit. I don't know what kind of genius juice he was drinking, but like you can go, <laughs> You could read it over and over, and it's it's Thomas Aquinas, like classical, like all sorts of myths, um, spirituality, like mystical spirituality, Cistercian, Augustinian, um, Franciscan, like everything mashed together in this like fascinating landscape, like this hellscape first. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, but for me, the best part is purgatory because they're, I mean, that's where we are. So I guess I would say if you're curious about purgatory, um, or if you want to get totally grossed out by sin, which is a a good quality, (laughs) um, (laughs) if you want to, if you, you know, sometimes some vices are like attractive, right? Um, yeah, I mean, most of them are at some level. Yeah. Don't we all know that? Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, but he paints this picture in hell where each sin is like embodied in some horrible torture, like for eternity. Yeah. And it's like, Ooh, that sin is ugly. Really ugly. Right. Um, I don't want to be like I that. Do guy. Not <laughs> get that. Yeah. I do not want to find out. And I guess here's one, the latest thing when I taught Dante to some middle schoolers last year, um, this is like a good place to jump in. 
if you want to start with Inferno, which everybody does because it's so gory and exciting, um, I would say start by reading it aloud. Great if you can read it aloud with someone and just notice how every sinner that he meets is a blamer. They're Mm. all blamers. Mm. Um, And is it mean that he puts them there for sins that we all do? Yeah, it's mean. (laughs) But (laughs) he's trying to make a point that he'll meet sinners that um, in purgatory that are purging the effects of those same sins, but they do not blame. They take full responsibility for what they did. Um, Mm. and they, you know, some are really serious and some are less. Um, so that's just one thing. I mean, we're dealing with the age of our kids. Like there's a lot of blaming. And of course I like in my mind, I'm like, don't be a blamer. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. You'll regret it. One thing Dante impresses upon me is like, you need to own it and accept that outstretched hand of mercy. Because he says at one point, if mercy is rejected, justice is merciless. And uh, like we know from the divine mercy, like there's not a single thing we could do that God wouldn't offer that mercy. We just have to be humble enough to take it. So, um, and for me, being a mom has had plenty of those moments, those humiliating moments, humble and humiliating at the same time. (laughs) affiliating but then also yes if if you can get up to paradise just the imagination like we were saying like if we could just have like an an ounce of that imagination where for him heaven is just different manifestations of light and movement and that love is movement like Mm -hmm. love Mm. moves and love goes out and it's like these 33 chapters of just sustained joy and it's like how did he do it (laughs) it's like amazing amazing work of genius yeah absolutely and then of course don't forget it was all inspired by a lady uh yeah (laughs) right right. (laughs) don't forget that whole idea about um, going out to the other and love being active right. um, such a feminine idea yeah. which is embraced by Dante yeah. through writing this yeah. right and and so that I mean just to revisit that point right that it's not only women who can manifest right. this um, and and that these these things are not opposed it's an intersubjectivity, right. right? Our our femininity and our masculinity, right. and in the world, we're a cooperative, right. right? And in relation to each other, we become more fully ourselves. Yes, um, amen. Yeah, so so amazing, yeah. And that whole oh, Beatrice, oh, so great, love it. She's so great. One <sighs> of my favorite parts is when Dante makes it through all of hell and up all of purgatory, and finally sees her again. <laughs> And you think yes. it's going to be this like touching reunion, like oh, running slow motion, you know, they're right. in this, like garden. Da, 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 yeah, da. no, and she walks up to him and just like upbraids him. <laughs> right, she's just like, she's "Hey, like, you <laughs> stupid little idiot!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those, I'm paraphrasing, right? But she, um, yeah, but she, what she said is like, "You are not sorry enough yet," and it wasn't until right. she made him cry. That she was finally like, now you're sorry. 
Okay. What is so beautiful about that is a Dante imagines this as an appropriate moment, like an appropriate response to him coming up there for a peak. Right. She was concerned about his interior. Like, sure. You went through all, you saw it all with your senses, but what is that movement inside? Like, where's your heart inside? And that he allows himself to cry. Right. Which in the medieval period is less of a stigmatized thing for men, but now is, is really stigmatized. Although I, and I have to say I was in Texas for a funeral and those guys know how to cry. Oh yeah, that's true. You Texans. We see you. You're good. (laughs) We see you. Big heart. Just like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, some so many things that we can learn from Dante, and like maybe maybe the first thing is just the the uh, bravery yeah. to pick it up, yeah. pick it up and start reading. Take up and yeah, read, take, right? Take up and read Dante, or listen to the audio. There's yeah. Great, oh, there's yeah, there's a BBC dramatization that's pretty good. Oh, mm-hmm. lovely. Oh, maybe I will. I will try and find a link to that yeah. too. So just make it nice and easy yeah. on the listeners. Oh yeah. Just, <laughs> just click on yeah. over. It's a good, <laughs> it's a good way to start to get into it. Yeah. Cool. Oh, oh Beth, I'm so, so pleased that this you is such a treat. are here. It is such a treat for me and such a balm for my soul. Speaking of friendship. Right, same. Yeah. Oh, um, awesome. Cool. Well, I love you and thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. for being and here. And sending all my love to you and your sweet family and all the people who just needed to hear something like this today. Amen. Ditto. Thank you so much for spending time with me this week. You are a beloved child, and today, for just a few moments, you chose to be with me. I'm so honored by that. I hope you can feel how much you are loved. If you know someone who could benefit by spending time with us, will you invite them to the Diamonds for Our Children community? Help them find our website at diamondsforourchildren.com. Send them a link to the show on Spotify, Apple, or any podcast platform. Or search for Diamonds for Our Children on Patreon. Patreon members are eligible for lots of good things, especially the opportunity to help me turn this mama love into tangible giving in our communities. You can also share what the show means to you by reviewing the podcast on the free Apple podcast app. Rating and reviewing helps others to find our community and our love. And who knows, your review might just be featured on the doc website. You can also get in touch with me via email at diamondsforourchildren at gmail.com to ask questions or share your thoughts with me. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Together, we create facets of a unified love that reflect light back onto the world.